The scripture reading today is taken from Jonah chapter 1. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. I want to congratulate those of you for whom this was like an obstacle course to get here this morning. That's why May always is in Philly, and I'm always amazed when you actually show up here in church on a Sunday morning in May, because it's so hard for many of you to get here. So well done. It's part of the fun for this month. I also want to say happy Mother's Day to you moms. This is a special day in our house, and I hope you call your mom today or remember her. Um, That lady did a lot for you. I can tell you that. Um, And look, uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Jonah, and I know that whether or not you've ever read the Bible, whether you've ever read the book of Jonah, this is a familiar story. You know, in fact, most people would say there's something fishy about this story. Oh, I got lots more, okay? Uh, that, uh, you know, and a lot of people would view this book as the ultimate fish story, right? So, like, you have the, you know, the, the anecdote about the fish, fish story. That you go out, the guy goes out and catches a fish, and every time he retells the story, the fish gets bigger and bigger. This is the ultimate fish story for a lot of people. And I know that for many of you, your question for us, for me this morning is, Jeff, do you really expect me to buy this, to swallow this hook, line, and sinker? 
See, aren't I punny this morning? Isn't it so funny? Yeah, um, so today we are going to tackle the fish question. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I really am done with that. Okay. Um, all right, I'm, I'll, I'll be serious now. Um, here's the deal with the fish. You know, I am concerned that you would miss the message of Jonah for the miracle in Jonah. I'm really concerned that you might miss the message of this book for the miracle. And so let me just say a few things about that. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the miracle of the giant fish. I honestly am not here this morning to convince you that a giant fish swallowed a guy for three days. That's not my job here this morning. In fact, I feel like that it would be a distraction from the main point of this passage. So you could ask me, Jeff, do you believe this happened? And I would say, yes, I do. But do I really care whether you believe this happened? Not really. It's not my job this morning to make this work for you. In fact, what I would say is, to be a Christian, look, you don't have to believe all the miracles of the Bible. You can say, there's a lot of stuff here that I'm like, really? You scratch your head about and say, I've got to really think about this. You have to believe in one miracle to be a Christian. You have to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's it. So I, I want to just give you permission to kind of wrestle with that and be a little unresolved and to not miss the point. Because I, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're in that category where you're like, Jeff, I just cannot swallow this one. Then I want to ask you to do what you do all the time. This is what you do all the time. Uh, you know, you watch things and read things all the time that you know are not true. They're not true stories. You suspend your disbelief regularly in order to allow a story to impact you. And so this morning, if you're like, hey, I just, you know, you people are crazy to believe this stuff, I would tell you it's okay. What I want you to do is do what you do with your favorite novel, do what you do with TV shows and say, I'm going to allow this story I'm going to allow the power of the story to kind of get past my defenses, to get past my skepticism this morning, because there is a message here that you will miss on account of the miracle, that if you miss it, you missed everything. It is so important. This is, Jonah is such an important book, and I would hate for you to miss the message for the miracle. Can you do that for me? You okay with that? Some of you may not be okay with that, and you can talk to me later. I'll arm wrestle you for it. Um, let me review from last week. Last week we looked at this. In Jonah chapter 1, God comes and tells this man Jonah. He says, Jonah, get up, go from where you live, go to this country of Nineveh and preach against it. And last week we looked at this, this uh, passage, this calling. It's a unique calling. No other prophet in the Old Testament is told to go to a particular place to preach against it. He's told to go preach a message of doom. Repent or you're going to die. And Jonah, instead of hearing God's voice and saying, Aye, aye, sir, he, it, God tells him to go east. Uh, Nineveh is the capital city of, of uh, Babylon, which is modern Iraq. A lot of us wouldn't want to go to Iraq either. And so God t- he says, you know, go to Iraq. And, bu- and Jonah says, bye-bye. And he goes 50 miles the other way. He goes, supposed to go east. He goes west. He goes west 50 miles. He goes to a port at Joppa. He buys a one-way ticket. And he buys a ticket to what would have been, at that time, the other side of the world. This is, 
This is, it says that on the ticket, the, the other side of the world. Okay? And it's to Tarshish in Spain. It's all the way through the Mediterranean Sea, if you can remember geography, Israel, through the Mediterranean Sea, all the way to, 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 to Spain. He is running from this call that God has on his life. And yet, what we see in the story is that God intervenes. As I told you last week, if I was God, this would be the shortest book in the Bible. It would have been three verses. God calls, Jonah says, no, no, I see you, I run away. And God says, hasta la vista, baby. Right? God says, I see you later, go ahead, run. But God provides, as we saw last week, and we're going to continue to look at this week in Jonah 1, God provides three things. And this is our outline for this morning. Very simple, three things that God provides here. First, we saw God hurls a wind, verse 4. In verse 7, we see God, they cast lots. Like drawing straws, and God provides the short straw to Jonah. And then finally, we're going to see God provides a fish. And this is where we're going this morning. I want you to see God's provision about how God intervenes in the story. It's a, there is a, there, there's a um, storm of God's anger, there is a lot of God's conviction, and there is a fish of God's discipline. That's our outline for this morning. You ready to jump in? Sort of? Okay. We'll jump in anyway. Uh, Jonah and his companions are on a boat that's caught up in what would be described as the perfect storm. You know, as we read this account, you've got to pay attention to some of the details here. Jonah and his companions, he's on a boat with some seasoned sailors, the mariners here, and they're on a boat across the Mediterranean Sea, and the, the, the boat hits a storm, and it begins to break apart, right? Now, let me just say time out. When we read stories from the Old Testament, a lot of us have, honestly, a little bit of a modern prejudice. We look at these primitive people, we modern people, we wise people, and we say, they are so silly. You know, I want to just challenge that a little bit this morning. These men were sailing without GPS, without radar in the Mediterranean. These were seasoned sailors. It's a lot harder to pilot a ship throughout... In that day, without communications, without good maps, without, you know, all the technology that we have, these men were students of the ocean. These men had studied the sea. And yet, and so you see in their actions how severe this storm becomes, right? See what they do. They do several things here. First, first they each of them begin to cry out to their God. Something has happened to the boat. The boat's about to fall apart. The boat's coming to pieces. Maybe the mast came off at this point. And they begin to cry out to their gods. And they're like, everybody start crying out to their gods. Second, they take all the cargo and throw it off the boat to lighten the ship. Which basically means that they are now saying, there is no hope of this ever reaching its destination. We think the ship is going to sink. We're getting lucky if we live through this thing. They're throwing everything in the sea. And then you see them do something even more dramatic. They stop doing anything. Did you notice that in the passage? They stop working. See, you've watched enough Pirates of the Caribbean type movies to have noticed this kind of stuff. When the guys think they have a chance, they fight. They're fighting the storm. When, the, when they've cut the rigging, when the mast is gone, everybody sits on the boat and starts talking and hopes that they can make it. And so they have a conversation at that point. They're, they're like, go get everybody to cry out to their God. We're going to die. These guys are at the end 
of their rope. They're saying, this is a storm like no other. So what kind of storm was this? This was a storm of God's anger. This is a storm of God's anger. God hurls a wind, a great wind upon the sea in response to Jonah's rebellion. Now, you know, this makes us very uncomfortable. Some of you will begin to shift in your seats during this part of the sermon because in this passage, we see God's anger at rebellion. We see God's righteous judgment on Jonah and saying, Jonah, you ran away. Sin deserves anger. Sin deserves wrath. Modern people are like, I hate that part. I don't like this part of God. I'd rather cut out these parts of the Old Testament. Thanks very much. And let me tell you, before you start amputating God's character, you need to think about that. This past week, I went with my son Henry on a class trip to the Mutter Museum, or Mutter Museum, I don't know how to say it, downtown Philly, 22nd and Chestnut. It's a great museum. It was started by the College of Physicians as an educational tool for future doctors. And you go down there and, uh, you know, it used to be this was a place that people came and studied because there were not a lot of, you know, x-rays and, and all the modern equipment that we have for doctors to learn what's on the inside. So you'd go to this museum and you'd see skeletons and you'd see hearts and you'd see brains and they could go trace the, all the systems and all this. And today it's become a little bit more, it's more like medical oddities, so, and which I really enjoyed, like giant skeletons, you know, um, conjoined twins, all kinds of, they have a whole cabinet full of things people have swallowed and doctors have pulled out of their throats. It's awesome. Okay. So uh, one of the things we saw while we were there is uh, I'd never seen leprosy or gangrene and they have like hands in jars. You can go look at them. Okay. It's kind of gross. Feet in jars. You can go see them. Um, And you know, I, as I was walking around this museum, I was like, that's what we do to God all the time. We're like amputation. And see, we are very tempted to pull out the bone saw on God's character and say, there are some things about God that I like. There's lots of things about God that I would choose. But when it comes down to it, I would love to saw off some parts that I just really have no use for. I consider them extra. I consider them actually offensive. And we would do this with God's anger at sin. As modern people, we are like, we do not want this. But before you pull out the bone saw today, let me ask you to consider that very carefully. Because when we really think about it, the things that most upset us in our world are not God's anger, it's his lack of justice. We perceive God as holding back his justice. You know, so we read in the paper, you read stories about those, about great injustices done to innocent people, and don't, don't you just get angry? Doesn't it just make your skin crawl? Or you read about those who would prey on the weak, and we're like, you know, I hate that. We're so angered by that. And see, look, don't we really, really want a God who is just? Don't we want a God who is angry at sin, who says that is not right? In fact, our biggest beef with God is not God's anger at sin. For many of us, it's the seeming delay of God's justice. It's like, is God still just? Right? But here's, the, here's where the, the real problem is. See, if we want to hold on to this precious part of God's character, God is angry at sin, 
we have to be willing to say, what if that's me? What if that's me? I mean, the truth is, our offense at this is not so much God's anger at sin, it's God's anger at our sin that really is the problem, isn't it? Isn't that what really, we're like, eh. You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a God who's angry at sin, but not have a God who's angry at your sin. And I know that this is hard, but have you considered? See, some of you got enough life experience in your back pocket. Some of you have enough life experience to say, there are things that I have done that have ruined other people's lives that I've sort of gotten away with. I have not had to face all the ramifications and implications of things that I have done in the past. Be honest. Are there things that in your life you sort of have been gotten a, sort of feels like a get out of jail free card on, that you know other people made the same dumb choices and they faced the full ramifications for them? The truth is, if we are honest, if you're honest with yourself, when you look in the mirror, you have to be able to say, there are some things, there are ways that I have crossed the lines, maybe I've gotten away with them, but if God is a just God, if God is angry at sin, then that mirror is pointing back at me. God does not blink at human sin. See, are you asleep? Are you asleep to this? Here's Jonah. You get the picture? Jonah's in the middle of the storm of the century. I mean, these guys are screaming out to their gods and praying. The ship is coming apart. There's probably water coming in, and Jonah's taking a nap? It's, a, it's supposed to be a funny picture, okay? And you're looking at the scene, and I'm like, man, that makes so much sense. That's the way we are. Here's Jonah who's asleep to the very fact that God is angry with him and that there's a raging storm that's a result of his own sin going on all around him. See, some of you would say to me, Jeff, I don't get it. I don't think of God as angry with me. I don't feel like I deserve any wrath. I don't feel really guilty. In fact, I'm actually doing okay. And I would say, exactly. You're proving my point. You're taking a nap in the middle of the storm. You're asleep to the fact that that God is angry with human sin, particularly yours. See, it proves the point. We're like Jonah. We're taking a nap in the boat. You're unconscious of God's anger. You're asleep to his wrath. And so this is where God has to wake Jonah up to what's going on. And it's, it, again, it's a kind of a humorous picture because Jonah's taking a nap. The captain finally comes and shakes him awake and he tells him, Get up and call on your God. And the two verbs there in the, in the Hebrew, get up, call, are the same two verbs that are the first verse of the book where God told Jonah, get up, go call these people and tell them that their sin has come up before me and it's going to be bad. You see what's happening? Jonah's probably woke up. He's like, this is the worst nightmare of my life. You know, God is telling me the exact same thing through the mouth of this pagan sea captain that I had heard. See, the same words that God disrupted his life with are the same ones that God is disrupting his sleep with. And he's saying, Jonah, wake up. Wake up. And this is the first hint for Jonah that God is in this storm. God is in this storm. 
God is the one doing this. Things get go from bad to worse in the boat at this point. You know, the men had stopped fighting at a point where they have nothing left to do but to draw straws, to cast lots. And they're trying to figure out who's responsible. So, parenthetically, time out on sermon time. This is just a little side note for you, a little freebie for this morning, okay? Um, casting lots was a way that people in ancient times tried to figure out what does God want us to do, okay? And, and it would be like, It'd be like drawing straws, you know, whoever gets the short straw, rolling the dice. It's a way for them to try to figure out what God was wanting to do, what's going on in this storm. Now, a lot of us would say, hey, I wish God would have operated that way today. I wish that I could sort of, you know, pull out the Ouija board or pull out the dice or draw some straws and say, God, what do you want me to do for my job? And I just, you know, I have them all labeled and I pull out the short one. Oh, I'm supposed to be, you know, an architect. Okay, that's how this is going to work. You know, and a lot of us are like, that sounds good. The reason that we do not do those things today as a church, the, the reason that we don't say, hey, go cult- consult your horoscope, is that we're like, as modern people on this side, of, it's not because we're like smarter, we have more education. It's because that when Jesus died and was resurrected, God gave his people the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's is part of God's being who is resident within the lives of Christians. So when we look to like, hey, what does God want me to do? We're not trying to email God to figure it out. We have God with us. God resident in our lives. If you're a professing Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in your being with you, is there with you. And so for you, you know, how do you figure out what you're going to do for the future? You don't cast lots for it. You Talk to the, you, you begin praying. The Holy Spirit is with you. You have a direct line to God. It's the difference between me having a relationship with my son where I'm like, I'm really close to him. I email him every once in a while. Right? Versus I'm with him. He's with me. We walk everywhere. We're hanging out together. That is the relationship since the resurrection of Jesus that you have with God the Father. So that's why we don't do this anymore. That's just a little aside for this. But back to our passage. Look what God does in this. Time before the Holy Spirit came. God controls the lots. Okay. They draw straws. God is clearly in charge here of the lots, the straws that get drawn. Jonah draws the short straw or whatever casting lots looked like in that moment. Jonah draws it. And immediately, every eye turns to Jonah. See, these sailors, they don't believe in God. They, they said they worship all kinds of different gods. They had some decent theology in the moment. They're like, somebody did something. This is a mess. This is a storm like we've never seen before. Somebody has done something here. And they, they, all the eyes turn to Jonah. And Jonah is forced in that moment. This is the short straw of conviction where he has to say, this is what I did. And you, you look at his words here. Look what he says. He says, me. I did it. They say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God who made the heaven and the dry land. And the men are afraid. It says, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Jonah has to come absolutely clean. He has to say, this is what I did. For the first time, he has to say, yes, I am running. Yes, I have turned away from God. This You know, this is the only sane response for Jonah in this moment. God has put him, has 
God is a better chess player than us. You know, God has got him at checkmate. And Jonah's like, I can't do anything else. This storm is only getting worse the longer that I run. See, some of you are at this point this morning. You look at your life and you're like, God is a better chess player than me. God has got me at a place of checkmate in my life. And I feel like my back is against the wall. I have been running from God. And there's, there's this sense in which the divine spotlight is coming upon your life. And you are absolutely wrestling in that place. You know, some of you are like, how did the bald guy know what was going on in my life? I don't know what's going on in your life. I'm just preaching the passage. But this is what God does with us. Right? We've been, many of us have been in this, in this moment where you're like, checkmate. God has put me in a place where I have no other opportunity. I have no other response. The only sane thing I can do is say, yes. You know what? I've screwed it up. I've been running away from you. I've turned my back on you. I've been disobedient. I've been foolish. You know, in moments like that, the only sane response to a, to a God who shines that kind of light, who puts you in that kind of checkmate, is for you to say, yes, this is me. This is me. So the sailors are like, what do we do? Right? They're like, what do we do at this moment? You know, they do not want to, to do what he... He says, throw me in the water and the storm will stop. And they're like, please, no. We do not want to be in trouble with... If it's, that's the kind of God you have? We're scared. And... and they don't want to be in. They don't want to be on the line for for Jonah's life, and so they ask, you know, for God's forgiveness for this, and then they take him by the arms and the legs and they toss him in the water. Now, look what I, I want you to see in this. Okay, the moment that you confess, the moment that Jonah confesses, God begins to put his life back on the right track. Right? Think about Jonah. God had said, Jonah, I want you to go and proclaim me to people who don't know me. Who are running from me. And Jonah's like, no, I won't do that. The minute that he says, yes, I have screwed this up. What does God do with Jonah? He takes Jonah. And the minute he hits the water, the storm stops. The men who are on that boat, says they seize, they, they, they sacrifice the word. They were even more frightened than they had been before. Why were they more frightened? Because God was using Jonah in that moment already to proclaim him. God was beginning already with that simple confession. Back against the wall. Yes, this is me. White flag of surrender. Checkmate. Jonah says, okay. God is already beginning to put his back life on tr- his life back on track. To put him where God wanted him. For the purpose that God had made him. You know, when you're in a place and you're like saying... I am running from God. I'm not having anything to do with God. The moment that you begin to take a step back, the moment you begin to turn your life toward him, and you say, okay, I get it. That's the moment God begins to rewire things. So look, we've looked at the anger, the storm of God's anger, the short straw of God's conviction, where Jonah has to say, yep, this is me. And now we look, look, the the fish of discipline. See, some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, I don't, I'm not sure I like a God like this. God is a mean dad. I thought God was a nice daddy. God is a mean dad. Look at this picture of God. Who wants this God? God punishes? And I would say, you're, I, I would totally agree with you, but for the fish. 
This is a story of punishment, but for the fish. The fish shows us that this is not a story of God's punishment. It's a story of God's correction. There's a big difference between punishment and discipline. There's a big difference between condemnation and correction. See, without the fish, this story would be, God's paying Jonah back. You screwed up, buddy. Now I'm really going to make your life worse. But no, this fish is an agent of God's discipline in Jonah's life. It's an agent of God's discipline. Now look, I know that when I say the word discipline, I immediately divide this room in half, right? And, and it divides it into two groups. There are those of you who were disciplined by your parents and those who weren't, right? There's those of you who were spanked and those of you who, well, should have been spanked, right? There are those of you who were spanked and those of you who arguably could still use a good spanking. You can settle that one over lunch, okay? Um, I'll, I'm, be, I'm, I'm not being serious, or, or maybe I am. Um, but seriously, look, I know that the, word, the minute I use the word discipline, for some of you that raises all kinds of weird pictures of God, you know, you're like, I'm not sure I want a God who disciplines. Um, look, for some of you, some of you were never disciplined. You had a mom or a dad who said, it's more important that I be your buddy. It's more important that, like, we have this good relationship. We're really tight with each other. We're, we're pals, you know, pal. You know, we're real chummy and close. And you had a dad who kind of flushed the opportunity for respect in your life by never holding up any boundaries, never setting any expectations, never saying, this is the way it's going to be in your life. Some of you had a mom who you found to be more manipulative than really actually clear and direct with you. And so for you, discipline, you're like, you know, it's a foreign concept to you. And you're, you're, you feel like, I'm not sure I even know what you're talking about with God's discipline. Because your parents did you a disservice and you have a hard time respecting them for it. Some of you, when I say discipline, are on the opposite side of that. And you knew a type of punishment in your, your life that was abusive. And I want to tell you, you know, that God's discipline is very different from punishment. God's discipline is very different from the mom or dad that you may have grown up with. Who, you know, when you hear the word discipline, you see a guy with a belt. You see a mom who was controlling and manipulative and harsh and tend to, to just wipe you out. And I, so we need to do a little work this morning to redeem this view of what God's discipline is. And I want to show you, because this picture... And Jonah is a beautiful picture of what your heavenly father is like. Can I show you what your heavenly father is like? Can I give you a picture of him? The story of Jonah shows us a dad who loves his kids. You know, there's a writer, Rebecca Pippert, has written in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons. She writes this, think of how we feel when we see someone that we loved who has ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Human love offers a true analogy. The more the father loves his son, the more he hates in him the liar or the drunkard or the traitor. See, anger isn't the opposite of love. uh, love. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hate is indifference. But real love stands against the sin, the deception, the lie that destroys. This is the purpose of God's Discipline. God's discipline is never punitive. It's never to say, 
pay you back. The picture that we see in Jonah is God's discipline is bring back, win back, restore, make things right. This is what should be normal for families. In our home, we don't, we don't punish our kids. We don't discipline our kids when they spill things or when they act like children. We discipline them for disobedience, for disrespecting their parents, for bold, outright, like, dis- like trying to harm one another, telling lies, things that are intentionally and clearly sinful. This is what God's discipline, this is the picture of discipline in the Bible. A parent is supposed to correct, is supposed to bring a, a child along in a way that restores them, that brings them to a place of wholeness. See, Hebrews 12, if you flip over, if you want to do some study later on today, read Hebrews 12. It talks about how God disciplines his children. He disciplines us because he loves us. God wants to bring us back into relationship with us, with him. And he has to do so by saying, look, rebellion equals pain. Anytime, see, Jonah's life, if God had ended the book at verse 3 and said, bye-bye, Jonah, have a great trip. Bon voyage. You know, God would not have been loving Jonah. His life would only have gotten worse at that point. Worse than a storm? Yeah. Worse than three days inside a smelly fish? Yes. See, God is saying, look, I love you, and therefore I want you to learn that rebellion has got to be associated with pain. And therefore, God's discipline sometimes is painful in order to help us to get the idea that our rebellion just like Jonah's, is something that will cause us pain, that will be worse than the, the, the discipline itself. See, rebellion always leads to pain. Think about your life. How has rebellion in your life led to pain? Some of you are very different from what I described a few minutes ago, and you said, I have had to deal with some of the consequences of my dumb choices. And you know that the pain that that's brought in your life. You know the sense of like rebellion, of pushing God away. You're like, yeah, that is hurt. Why do we need discipline? Why do we need discipline? Because each of us has a tendency to drift. See, your life, the Bible says, this is in Hebrews chapter chapter 4, is you're like a car. You're like a car going down the road that, that's tires are out of alignment. And, you know, if, you, if you're driving that car and you're not paying attention, you're going to drift either into oncoming traffic and hurt yourself and somebody else, or you're going to drift into a pedestrian and hurt yourself or somebody else. Right? Each of our hearts, the Bible says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But each of you, as long as it's called, uh, the day is called today, turn. The Bible says, look, you're a car that's tending to drift. Each of us has a drift. And God's discipline is saying, whoa, wake up. Come on back into the right lane. Come on. Turn the wheel back over. Look at the road. You see what's coming? Because without that, we would tend to crash. We would crash and not just mess up our lives, but the lives of other people around us. God's discipline is to help us stay the course with him. Stay on the right path. You know, think about Jonah. I, I, I like to think about this passage. and I'm like, hey, what, at what point do you think that Jonah finally kind of broke? You know, not just, he'd said, hey, uh, yeah, this is me. But what do you think, when was the moment, the Bible doesn't tell us here, that Jonah finally was like, wow, <coughs> you know, man, this was bad. 
Rebellion equals pain. What, you know, do, you, do you think it was when he got swallowed by a fish? Do you think it was when he was in the fish for a while? Here's when I think it was. I think it was when they had Jonah by the, the, ar- the hands and the ankles, and they're like, a one and a two. And, and, and one guy's like, wait, are we going to throw on three, or do we count to three and then we throw? I think that was the moment when Jonah was like, oh my gosh, wow, look at what I've done. That's just, that's just Bradford. I don't know if that's true. You know, but see, what I think that is fascinating, though, is that here's Jonah. He confesses, and God has him swallowed by a fish. And how long's he in the fish? He got three days down there, people. There's nothing to do. There's no TV to watch. He can't read. There's no in-flight magazines. The guy is stuck in the dark in the middle of a fish at the bottom of the ocean with nothing to eat for three days. Man, do you see how discipline must be thorough? See, what do we see in this, in this passage? As, as a, um, another pastor says, look, you know, God is generous with his grace, but God is thorough with his discipline. God puts Jonah in this, this fish for three days. And he is down there with nothing to think about except for the ramifications of his action. Why is God doing this? Rebellion equals pain. He wants to make sure he's like, Jonah, I never, ever, ever want you to run away again. I, I want to help you stay on the road. I want to make sure that your life is moving the direction that I've called you to. See what a loving father this is? You know, what about you? If, if you're like me, let me tell you how repentance goes in my life. God it reveals something in my life, and I'm like, okay, Jesus, I got that one. You're right. That was me. Let's move on. And I want to multitask my repentance. You know, I'd like to kind of, you know, be able to do that and, you know, write some emails and talk on the phone at the same time. You know, I want to do... Mick repentance, wrapped in its own neat little Mick paper, you know, and just have that fast food repentance, be able to like walk through God's stuff really fast. And I find that, you know, I'm into microwave Christianity. God is into crockpot Christianity. God's like, no, I want to deal with this nice and slow. I'd like you to sit here for a little while. I'd like you to take some of the insights I've given you in your life and really think about that and not just rush on to the next thing. You know, not multitask me in the middle of all this. See, what about you? We have a God who's generous with his grace, but he's thorough with his discipline. You know, if you could interview Jonah, if you stand up here right here this morning, and you could say, Jonah, microphone, you know, what do you, at, in the moment when you were in the belly of the whale, did you feel like God was punishing you or correcting you? I bet Jonah would say, I didn't, I couldn't differentiate between those two things. You know, this was hard, and I felt like crap. And I just honestly was full of self-pity and fear and trying to wrestle with God. And see, some of you are in this moment today. Some of you are right here this morning. In your place, and you're like, you know what? God seems to have me in time out. My life is not moving forward. And I am stuck, and I don't know what God is doing, and I can't figure out why He has put me in this place of sitting still. Is it punishment? Is it discipline? Are you listening? You want to take another nap? Or you want to turn in, tune in to what God is doing in your life? And say, God, 
I want to, I want to rush past this. I want to make repentance you. I want to multitask you. God is saying, look, will you sit still? Will you listen? Will you pay attention? I've got things you need to hear right now. See, is God just allowing you to sit? Is he forgetting you? Maybe not. Maybe God is thorough with his discipline. My question for you, will you sit still? Will you listen? Will you put down the other things and listen? Now look, look, we've looked in this passage at the three provisions of God, right? We've talked about the storm of God's anger. We've talked about the short straw of conviction. And we've talked about God's discipline through the fish. And if you're tracking with this sermon, if you're like reasonably awake at this moment, you know, you, you have to be able to say, this sermon doesn't add up. If you, may, you may not be great at algebra, but this sermon's not adding up. Because you have a God who's angry with Jonah in his sin and seems to be doing this incredible storm. He brings Jonah to a point of conviction. Who said, and he says, yeah. And then God disciplines him. And if you are paying attention and you're saying, I thought, Jeff, you said that God was a just God, you are right. Because the story of Jonah doesn't end in the book of Jonah. In fact, this story is missing a huge segment. And Jonah himself would have been the most surprised person in any, of any of us to find that he was in the belly of the whale and not dead. Because God is a righteous God. I told you, I asked you this question earlier. Does God punish his kids or does God discipline his kids? And the answer to that is yes. The answer to that is yes. See... Many centuries later, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus would talk to another group of people just like Jonah. He would come to the religious leaders of his day. Jonah, religious professional, pastor guy, nice guy, probably bald, good looking. Right? And Jonah, and and Jesus turns and comes to the religious professionals of his day, and he says to them this. They said, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. In other words, to prove you're for real. Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given for it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, be in the belly of the earth, be in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus finishes this story. Jesus says, yeah, you know what? God does punish his kids. See, there was another man, Jesus, who came, who was a prophet like Jonah. And yet he was not a man who ran when God told him what to do. He's a man who was obedient. And like Jonah, he was put into a storm of storms. He was put on trial He was unjustly accused. And when the time came, Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath. Unlike Jonah, who was rescued, there was no fish. There was no rescue. There was no exit strategy for Jesus. Jesus bore upon himself the full wrath of God, the full punishment. So does God punish his kids? He punished his kid so that we might know the correction. We might know the fatherly discipline. We might know that kind of love from our Heavenly Father. 
See, God does punish. And that the truth is, there is a sign of Jonah. There is a sign of Jonah. And the question is, do you hear it? That today, I will divide this group into two groups. And I'll say there's some of you who are, that say, you know, I'm a Christian. And some of you say, I'm not sure I am. I don't know where I am with this this morning. And I want to I give you each an application. You know, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, I would beg of you to listen to this. Do you hear the sign of Jonah? That there was one who was killed, who was punished, who bore the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God for your sin. You're on the hook for it if he's not. Either he was thrown into this storm for you, or you yourself will face God's righteous judgment for the things in your life that you have done, said, and thought that were outside of his purposes and his will and his glory. And the question is, will you allow the greater Jonah to stand for you? Will you allow him to be punished for you so that you might know the fatherly care, yes, the fatherly discipline, but the fatherly love of this kind of a God? Will you allow him into your life in that way? You know, you may be full, say, I'm full of doubts and fears and skepticism, and I don't know, and I would tell you this, the only thing you have to know to be a Christian is that Jesus was resurrected for you. He died and was raised from the dead for you. You don't have to believe the Jonah story, but you have to believe that story. It's the best story. And it's really the only story. And if, if, if you can't be there, my call to you is to not let this story get away from you. Don't be the one who got away. God is pursuing you. And your life will show checkmate if you don't listen to this. For those of you who are Christians, you, some of you say, man, this is great. I, I do, I love this story. And your hearts are moved when you hear sermons and messages when you're like, yeah, that's really true. That's who Jesus is for me. Yet I, my question for you is, does your life reflect it? Does your life reflect it? Are you running like Jonah is? Are you in many ways showing that you also allergic to God? You're like, yes, I've heard the sign of Jonah, No, when it comes down to it, your life shows that you are on the run. And maybe nobody knows. Maybe everyone else is fooled. You know, we're going to do something unique at Liberty next week. We never do this kind of thing, and I know I'm going to probably upset some of you by doing this kind of thing. But next week, I'm going to give you seven days to kind of stew on this one. Next week, at the end of our sermon, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come clean. To come clean. I'm not going to make anybody stand up and confess their sins, but I'm going to invite people forward at the end of the service. And if there are secret things going on in your life, if there are ways that you're running from God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to deal with that. Some of you have marriages that are estranged. Some of you have chronic relationships that are estranged. Some of you have lives that reflect a deep, brokenness and a a sense of being stuck over and over in the same patterns and because those things are hidden they have power in your life because you're continuing to be a a runner you know you you continue to have power in your life and i'm going to give you seven days to wrestle with this i'm going to ask you to really search your heart god are there ways that i am just running there are ways that I have heard the story. Jesus, hey, he's great. He was punished for me. Yeah, that's great. But God is coming after you in his discipline. 
And you're like, you're like Jonah. You, you draw, you're drawing the short straw. And you're like, I'm trying to do everything in my power not to have to deal with this stuff in my, in my life. Look, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You need that kind of healing. You need that kind of opportunity for you to come clean with Christ. To find freedom. And some of you are like, why are we waiting a week? Because I, I really want you to wrestle. Jonah got three days, I'm giving you seven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.